presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I'm the chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute and your host today. Our children are our future. Some of Colorado's children are having a much tougher time than the rest of them. Youth who are aging out of foster care system have some of the worst outcomes among our Colorado children, and it comes at a high cost to our economy. Here to talk with me about the challenges and opportunities for Colorado and its foster youth is John Farnan, Managing Director of the Murgridge Family Foundation and CSI's Murgridge Child Welfare Fellow. Murgridge Family is one of the state's leaders in child welfare philanthropy. But before we get into that, let me give you a little more information with regards to John. John has served on the Mortgage Family Foundation for 12 years, and they're administering more than $150 million in grants. He's the first chief of staff and is now the managing director. In 2022, he earned an executive certificate through the prestigious chief of staff fellowship at the University of Oxford. And in 2023, he was one of 60 leaders from 20 countries to complete an inaugural Chief of Staff Association program through Harvard Business School Executive Education. In John's earlier career, he served as a Vice President of Marketing for Goodwill Industries in Denver, and he helped establish the Goodwill Endowment Fund for Goodwill Industry with an ambitious $10 million. By the way, congratulations. That's pretty good. Initiating. He has also worked in the area of education philanthropy with the Vanguard Classic School of Denver, where he again raised $6.5 million to build that institution. Leadership and John's background in philanthropy has been something that we can all say that he has accomplished, and we thank you for it, and the new levels of success you've helped those institutions achieve, John. And welcome today to the podcast. We look forward to hearing your comments. I wanted to also note that just last week, PBS 12 and the Mortgage Family Foundation presented a new film featuring the stories of five individuals with life experiences in foster care system. The movie premiere was created in proud partnership with Cobble Streets and the Common Sense Institute. John, thank you for everything you're doing. I listed a lot of what you've done. I could have listed more. And the Mortgage Foundation, you're doing a fantastic job as a foundation director and the foundation itself. Thank you so much. The foster care is an important issue, so let's get started. What do you think, John? Thank you, Earl. That was a very generous uh, introduction, and I really appreciate uh, being together today. You're, you're welcome. And what the foundation you're doing is really stunningly productive and important for our community. Let's get started. Colorado's foster youth don't stay in the system into their adulthood. They age out. How many of these kids are we talking about every year, John? What's the aging out process? Yeah, so there are multiple ways that kids uh, can age out of, of care. Number one way is by turning a particular age, they no longer receive benefits or care from the foster care system. So, for example, it used to be that at 18 years old in Colorado, youth were automatically emancipated out of the system. So you went from having a really stable housing environment, um, cash supports and some and case managers and guardian med lifetimes and all of these adults in your life supporting you to all of a sudden having no one. And the having no one and the lack of permanency is really what has been detrimental in the findings of this report and the 
the actual costs of aging out of foster care without that permanency. In, a number of years ago, uh, we looked at data and we wanted to measure our graduation and completion rates for kids who were in foster care ever in their life in Colorado. And so we facilitated a, a data sharing agreement between Colorado Department of Education and Child Welfare. What we discovered when we analyzed the data in Denver, the completion and graduation rate was 14%, just 14%. When we broadened the aperture and looked statewide, 27% of kids in foster care, even for a day, graduate high school. Let's stop for a second if we could. Give all of us, if you would, a description of what is it like for a child to be in foster care? I assume that I'm in foster care. Do I have this wonderful family that's been screened and they're there to make certain I'm terribly successful? Are they there just to give me food and clothing and then, you know, good luck? Help me out. I'm going to share a story with you of a a young man named Mitch who has profoundly impacted my personal, my life and the work that we are here to talk about today. And Mitch is also featured in the film Rebecoming Me, which is on Rocky Mountain PBS and on the child welfare site at the Common Sense Institute. There's a link to it there. You know, Mitch was taken from his family. He has, he's one of four children. He and his mom were having dif- difficulties. And so the police were called and they removed Mitch and said, we will bring him back on Monday. Just give you guys some breathing room. Mitch never returned to his home. So even in circumstances that we, we not see as, as good circumstances, they're at least known circumstances. It's Mitch's mom, it's Mitch's family, it's his siblings. That's what he knew. And to remove a kid from that scenario, even though there are probably safer places for them, is still completely traumatic for that young person to be removed from their family. So Mitch bounces around to foster families, spends some time in group home settings when they can't find a foster family to take him. And his anger is escalating. His disconnection with adults who care about him, with family, with friends, all of that is starting to dissipate. And over the course of his high school career, he had nine different foster homes, foster placements. The last one he had, he said, was a pretty decent foster home. He asked his foster dad, "Um, I would like to take my girlfriend to homecoming. Can I do that? And his foster dad said, yes, that's perfectly fine. Um, you need to be home by 11 p.m. Clearly reasonable curfew for a young person. Well, Mitch and his girlfriend, it was 10 minutes till, until 11, and his girlfriend asked him, are you going to go home? And Mitch said, no, I'm not going anywhere. And she said, you know, if you don't go home, they're going to move you. And it's over for us. I won't see you again. And so Mitch sprinted home as fast as he could, and he got to his home, foster home, 11 minutes after 11 o'clock. His foster dad called his caseworker, they called the police, convinced them that it was out of protest, out of being insubordinate, out of being just a bad child. And they jailed him for one day for every minute he was late coming home. 11 days in jail. Now, I'm not a parent, but I was parented. That is not parenting. That is not caring for and protecting a young person who's in a vulnerable situation. You raise an interesting issue. He had several different places that he'd say, if you're a foster child, how often is it likely you're to be moved from one caregiver to another? The average is nine times. Mitch, Mitch hit the average. So wow. averages, you know, are just the middle. There are fewer, obviously, and, and, and many more. But um, the, the average is nine. That's really, 
Now, how many kids do we have in the foster care system right now in Colorado that are su subject to that? We just have over 5,100 children in Colorado. And, you know, your, your opening remarks I, I just really are at the crux of this, Earl. These are all of our children. And all of these children are our future, all 5,100 of these kiddos. So in my report, the number I was looking at in aging out of the system, again, it's we moved it a number of years ago from 18 to 21 years old and then moved housing supports up to 26 years old. So there's a longer tail to aging out than what we just had even four years ago. And that tail is there to create new levels of support in an attempt to stand up greater success for these young people who never find their forever family. Well, you mentioned in the, in the report that there are four outcomes that you have uh, with regards to the uh, youth aging out of the foster care system. Can you talk about those outcomes and what you learned? You mentioned one of them uh, earlier. That's a 14% graduation rate. I, I'm stunned. When we look at the levers of re the research, what I originally was looking for was I wanted to look at labor data as it relates to kids who have aged out of foster care or even got permanency who were in foster care. And what my interests are is, are they living and earning a family-sustaining wage job, or are they living on benefits and hopping from one housing voucher to another housing voucher? Are we sending them up for independence? And I could not find that data. And so with help from my team at the Common Sense Institute, we decided to look at four variables. The first one is early parenthood. When we got the data sharing done between the Colorado Department of Education and Child Welfare, we discovered that 62% of kids in foster care were parents themselves. So think about that. You didn't have a parent. You were in a foster home or in a group home. Core role modeling around parenting. And now you yourself are a parent. You've been 18 yet. So that data on early parenthood, it's, there's 13 times more, 13 times more likely for women in foster care to early parents than it is for the general population. And the costs associated with that are horrible. Early parenting costs between $12,000 to $12,500 per child, per parent, for an amount uh, coming to $2.6 million over that one foster late woman's lifetime. So the cost of that is, is incredible. The other lever, lever we looked at was homelessness. How likely are kids in foster care to become homeless? And what we discovered uh, in this report is they are six times more likely than the general population to be at risk for homelessness and experience homelessness. The other component... A large, large part or a significant part of our Denver homelessness issue might, might be children that come from foster care. Might, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, Earl, they, they are the foster youth are more hidden because they might be couch surfing with some people they know. With our work with Urban Peak, we have spent nights out on the street working with youth who are homeless and trying to get them either to be sheltered at Urban Peak and or at least be willing to come in for food, you know, take a load off, get off of the streets and just be in a safe environment. And so the homelessness uh, uh, in foster youth is a truly a, a huge problem. The other one, and we talked about this when I shared with you Mitch's story, is right. 
incarceration. And when we look at incarceration, 26% of former foster youth in Colorado, age 21 years old, yeah. have been incarcerated in the last two years. Oh, in the last two years. Okay, got it. Got compared it. to the 0.06% of the general population. And so that propensity to view foster youth as criminals and less than human is what this report illuminates. So when I think about the work we have done at the Mortgage Family Foundation in prior years, we were very successful in working to pass a law, Senate Bill 2208, that allows access to higher ed, four-year and non-traditional uh, post-secondary, to any kid that was in foster care from age of 13 years old and on. Now, let's go back to our graduation numbers. That is not available to three quarters of the kids in foster care because they didn't graduate high school. So the genesis of this report was a backwards engineering toward high school graduation and completion and what doors that may open for our foster youth for post-secondary uh, certificate programs, but to create a life for themselves and benefit from the economy that we all get a benefit from. I listened to this, and, and you mentioned there's 5,000 Colorado students. I went back, John, and said, well, gee whiz, do we have more or less per capita than the rest of the United States? And even though California has, by absolute number, far more than we do, but on a per capita basis, you know, we kind of were right there in the middle uh, with everybody else. The other thing that stunned me, and I want to get at what you think the state ought to do here with regards to trying to resolve this issue, but... $1.3 billion in federal funds is available. Is that money getting out in Colorado to uh, help uh, resolve this issue? Or is that, where is that money going and how is that being spent? Or do you have a sense of that? Yes, yeah, so a lot of those dollars uh, used to be dollars that were directed at the care of the kids in foster care. And uh, a number of years ago, that focus shifted upstream to prevention. And so a large amount of those dollars are actually spent on the front end of preventing a child from entering the system, which I am all for. That is our, our ideal world. That's, that's where we should be spending our time and our resources. At the same time, we can't leave behind the kiddos who are already in foster care and who experienced the trauma of being removed from their family. It is a yes and obligation that we have to have. And so a large number of the dollars that used to go direct care to the foster youth moved upstream to prevention strategies. And so I also looked at, I also looked at the trend and there is a lessening of children going into foster care, but it's infinitesimal. It's not even statistically significant. So I'm not real certain what your thoughts are with regard to the effectiveness of how the monies are being spent that are available. I think we are uniquely positioned in Colorado and our outcomes are showing 5,100 children. That's manageable. We can fix this problem. I want to lean in also on uh, the graduation rate statewide in 2005 was 27%. We have grown that to 30%. That's, that's for the foster foster child. It's that's right. percent statewide. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. We saw also some, some positive growth in early parenthood uh, over the course of the time it has decreased 12.2%. We're seeing good outcomes and improvements. We have a long ways to the finish line, though. This report creates a roadmap for us to the finish line. Well, what, what do you think is uh, helping 
the getting some of the improvement you talked about, like early childhood, I mean, parenthood and uh, some graduation success. What, what's happening, John? Is there something that we should be aware of that's working that we can continue to support? We have some state legislators who are so incredibly focused on outcomes for our foster youth. And in, in over the course of a number of legislative sessions, some really good public policy has been implemented. One of them is moving that age out uh, from 18 years old to 21 years old. That's significant. In doing that, we also created more on-ramps and off-ramps into the system for the young person. It used to be that if I'm 16 and I'm fed up, I don't let, I don't want to see my case manager again. I don't want to go to another court and I leave the system and emancipate myself. I couldn't have an oopsie and be two years later saying, that was a big mistake. I think I need support that I was getting before. They, it was not an option. So now they have on ramps and off ramps into and out of the system as they see fit. I think that's leading to a great level uh, of the, of the positive increases we're seeing in our foster kids and their outcomes. Another one is, this is very recent, we passed a law at the state capitol that extended housing to 26 years old for these young people, and it also provided vouchers and funding for the vouchers for these young folks to go and get their own apartment. And so that, I think, is a direct result uh, to show the homelessness decrease by nine percentage points. Those are all very tangible, actionable items that came out of the state house, run through the Office of Children, Family, and Youth at the State um, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, and get right down to the counties where they can get that care to to the foster youth. Well, if we can, let's take it right down to the county level. And if you can give us four or five things we can focus on as a populace and say, hey, we want to support public policy issues in this area, what would they be locally? And then what would you think at the state level? Maybe they're the same, but is there something different? There are strategies and solutions uh, that I have lifted up in my report. Um, I'm going to start with the first, and that is, I believe that the role of a foster parent needs to be expanded slightly. The foster parents are there for the well-being and safety of the child who is in their care. And I think we need to add another layer to this and add the layer of high school completion and graduation. In doing that, you know, as a parent yourself, you you would be hyper-focused on making sure your kids stay in school, they get their diploma, they they plan for a future. Our kiddos don't have that view of on their life because they're so bogged down going to court, being with their guardian and litem. If there are a living parents having forced parental time with the biological family whom, from whom you were removed, the, the expectation added in of completing high school for the foster parents, I think is a really important uh, shift. So how would you do that? Would you give some kind of monetary incentive? What would what would be the answer there? We would need to re- remunerate them. We would need to pay, in my opinion, and in this report, I recommend we pay a foster family five thousand dollars when their child graduates high school. Do this together. Let's do a pay for success. We're going to add the responsibility, and we're going to take care of you for making sure that responsibility is fulfilled. Okay. That's Anything one. else? Anything else you would add? Yes. In looking at the children who are in foster care, one of the biggest challenges they faced was transportation and moving schools. So they're moving nine times, which means they're moving to nine different schools while they're in foster care, getting their transcripts sent to the new school and or transportation to the new school are the two biggest barriers that they faced in completing high school. 
So one of the ideas I had, and this is actually implemented in a, in a handful of Jeffco schools right now, it's called Fostering Opportunities. I was calling it in my report, a virtual school district. The goal behind this is that at any one point in time, there is a navigator inside the school helping kids who are in foster care take a clear view into what they know, what their education is, where there might be gaps, where they've already learned that content and can be advanced and moved on, and an accountability partner to make sure they're showing up to class every day. We have seen this as a pilot in a few Jeffco schools. Last year, the state legislature expanded it, and so it's in two more schools. They expanded it to seven schools. However, the funding wasn't there to get it into all seven schools. And Earl, this is not a solution that we have to look at for every single school across our state. We know where we have concentrations of young people in foster care, and we know where they go to school. So creating a statewide solution isn't really necessary in this case. We need to go into the counties and the school districts where we have deep concentrations of foster youth. That is the Metro Denver area, El Paso County, uh, a little bit of, uh, over in Mesa County. We can identify and heat map where that type of a program needs to be implemented. It has already been uh, researched uh, from the Colorado Action Lab, and the success of fostering opportunities is evident. The program works, and we just need to put it in the right schools where we have concentrations of young people in the foster care system. The other recommendation I would have as it relates to success of these young people is I played intramural sports as a child. I went skiing every weekend in this in the winter. These young people don't have that opportunity because they don't have their own money. And so one of the recommendations that I've made in this report as well is that for each year a young person is in foster care, they should receive $2,000 a year in cash for a savings account. That savings account can be used for things like cleats and pads if I'm going to sign up for soccer. Um, if I'm going on, I want to go on my class field trip, I don't have any money to do that. Those dollars could be used for things to give these children their life back as a child and not exclude them from participating fully as a young person in their classroom, in their community, in their neighborhoods. That's what that savings account would do. Oh, so some kind of a smart card with specific use and beyond that, it couldn't be used. I'm sure, I'm sure that young kids are learning how to abuse it, but your point is that that there'd be enough of them that would get the benefit that we understand some abuse would occur, but it just, uh, it's just for the benefit of the majority that you're talking about, right? That's correct. And I would imagine the way that this would, would roll down to the young people is through their court-appointed special advocate, the CASA volunteer, or the CASA person that they would be involved with. What it would look like is that any time a child hit the foster care system, they would have a relationship with a CASA program. And the CASA programs are based on judicial districts. Every district in Colorado has a, has a CASA program in it. And so I would envision these dollars being held with CASA and the monitoring of the, the use of these dollars with the young person supported by a, a CASA. What, what is CASA again? If you could, uh, I'm sorry, tell us what that is. Court appointed special advocates. Got and it. They are like the child's blue. They're the right hand. It's not a legal entity. Rather, it is. Um, they provide volunteers to the kids to do things like, I, I'll give you an example of a dear friend of mine who is a CASA volunteer. She has a sibling group of three girls and the girls uh, were so far behind in school. They're in a foster home. 
they weren't thriving. So they get a CASA volunteer. This volunteer says, okay, girls, you all three show up to class all five days this week. We're going to go to the mall and you each will have X number of dollars to do whatever you wish with. So again, it's just like it would be if we were parenting. We have to bring that childhood back to the child and give them an opportunity to have expectations placed on them and the reward that comes when they meet those expectations. Well, where do the cost of volunteers come from? They are community members. Many of them have retired. They are recruited by each one of, of the jurisdictional CASA programs. And that's at the deepest level of being involved with CASA. CASA also has relationships with young people where they don't assign them a volunteer. It's just a central place where young people can come and gather and be supported and, and have adults in their life that are outside of a court system or a foster system. My goodness. And, and the people just decide they want to volunteer and, and help these young people out. And, and they're, I guess, recruited to some extent, but uh, it's, it's, giving, it's a giving of their time. They're not compensated. Correct. That's correct. So that's a, that takes a special person, I would think. I don't know that we've covered everything you would like to cover. I find this report so compelling that uh, you, you have to be aware of what's going on. And, and I think the idea of foster care and the, the how much success or lack thereof we've had is troubling. Uh, is there anything else at the state level that you think that we uh, could be doing or thinking about? I went into the report and ran uh, just basic numbers on what would it cost us to implement the solutions I'm recommending in this report. And I looked at two specifically. I looked at paying foster parents $5,000 to graduate their foster youth and I looked at the $2,000 a year in savings accounts for our foster youth. And in, cause those are the two biggest fiscal items in the report recommendations. So I ran those numbers. I took our 5,127 uh, foster youth and divided them by 12, grades one through 12 to give me 428 students. Uh, that, that's the number that we would have graduating high school on schedule. The $5,000 would be paid out for. That comes to $2.1 million. When we then look at youth in the foster care system in Colorado at 5,127, and we apply the supplemental savings account to that number of $2,000 per year, that brings us to $10.2 million per year. So combined, we're looking at an investment of $12.4 million to change the trajectory of all the foster kids in the state of Colorado look at the 65 to 73 million it actually costs us on an annualized basis in the four categories of early parenting, homelessness, incarceration, and lack of high school graduation. That's a that's pretty easy math to do, in my opinion. Yeah, you're talking about a huge return on your investment if you can get these young people to graduate from high school and then delay parenting and at the same time uh, have a have a job, which you and I both know if you have a High school education, your chances of having a job are much higher than if you don't have one. John, I can't thank you enough for the time and the work and all that you've dedicated to our community and, and the foundation. The Margaret Family Foundation is very lucky, lucky to have you as their, their director, and uh, we are very lucky to have you in our community. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Earl. I appreciate the CSI and everything they bring to, to our community. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. 
For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstitute.co.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on Podcatchers Everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.